Lena Dunham releases a pornographic film and calls it liberating to women while we're looking for an inclusive pick to fill the vacancy in the Supreme Court of the United States, but we're only looking for one gender and one race. We'll talk about the left and how they love to pervert language today on the show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. All right, thanks for joining us today on the show. We like to talk about the intersection of faith and culture, so we'll do that by looking at some news and headlines before we get to any of that. I want to make sure to ask you to do us a big favor. Uh, we're releasing three episodes each and every week, and right now that's a lot for us at this early stage in the game. And so I hope that's something that you guys appreciate and that you love staying informed so much that you're willing to come back, check out the show, and maybe even like, share, subscribe this episode with other people. So uh, you can watch on YouTube and you can listen wherever podcasts are available, but please do us that huge favor. Any time you share this, it definitely helps reach more people, uh, obviously because you're sharing it with them, but then it also helps the algorithm when you when you share this and like this. Uh, reach new people that uh, that are just stumbling through social media or, or through YouTube. So please help us out with that. And then I want to make sure that you guys know that we are sponsored by uh, a good friend and a great team over at Element Funding, the Kevin Blair team. If you're looking for a new home and you want to refinance before interest rates hit records high, which they will inevitably over the summer as inflation continues to have impact on our economy, uh, then you can do that right now by pre-qualifying for, for a home by going to kevinblairteam.com. So make sure to check them out. And then when you do, let them know that you were sent by IndieThinker. So not too long ago, I was speaking with somebody on social media, and I was uh, I made a post about parents and school boards and books, and uh, I was defending the right of parents to speak up on behalf of their kids and to censor content that they felt was age inappropriate or inappropriate. Uh, regardless of of their age. And so I, I sympathize with that viewpoint. Um, and th this person commented on the post and they said, well, I just happen to appreciate all viewpoints. So in other words, they feel like every book, no matter what it is, should be available in a library for a child to read. And I'm assuming no matter what age they are as well. Well, this is happening a lot in conversations today. I don't know about you, but it just seems like it's harder and harder to communicate with people these days. And part of the problem is, is either ignorance or purposeful, intentional perversion of language. And what I mean by that is this, is that if that person really understood what they were saying and they tolerated all viewpoints, well, then they would also have to tolerate the viewpoint of these parents who think that they should censor content for their children. But of course, they don't tolerate all viewpoints. We all know better. There are viewpoints that should be considered, but not all viewpoints are made the same. Some are better than others. And we, we all agree with this at the, at the end of the day, but we don't want to say it maybe initially because it sounds better to say how tolerant we are. But it is becoming harder and harder to communicate with people. Just recently, Justin Trudeau came out and spoke against these truckers and their protest and said, while I believe in some protests, like standing with the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't believe in all protests. I don't believe in standing with these truckers who are a danger because they don't believe in the science and uh, and and they're militant and they're violent and they're rhetoric. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, did you see what happened over the summer of 2020 with Black Lives Matter? And you're calling these people who 
as far as I know, have done nothing violent, have not got the police called on them, burnt down zero buildings. And, and so it's just like there's this major disconnect with, with language today. And I hope we realize that the real intention of those who are playing with fire is not to play at all, but rather to burn down the house. So when people twist and distort language, it's usually for a very intentional purpose. And although I love to paint with a broad brush, I'm going to paint with one right now and just go ahead and tell you that this is mostly happening on the left these days. The left, although out of touch with most of reality, does realize at least this, that language is a foundational building block for society. Words are powerful. As a Christian, I realize this too, because I value the words not only of Scripture, but also the very important Christian idea that Jesus was the Word made flesh and that his interaction with the world changed everything. But I'm not alone. The left knows this all too well. They, along with any dishonest person, can choose to engage in dishonest attempts to distort language for the purpose of burning down reality so that they can make it into the mold of their Marxist utopia. You can see this abuse of language in things like the transgender movement when experts appropriate womanhood but cannot even define it on TV. Here's a clip of that. I have answered the question. You stood up here and said trans women are women. Yes. Tell me what you mean. What is a woman? Womanhood is something that, just as Ethan explained, I cannot define because I am not but myself. But you used the word. So what did you mean when you said trans women are women if you don't know what it means? Right. So here's the thing. So I do not define what a woman is because I do not identify as a woman. Womanhood is something that is an umbrella term. It includes people that who... That describes what? People who identify as a woman. I identify as what? as a woman. What is that? Was to each their own. And then you have people who say they stand for racial equality, but then they use terms like skin folk, but not kin folk, or they have black skin, but they don't have a black voice. And then they wish to totally cancel out the legacy of great black men and women like Clarence Thomas in the Supreme Court, just like in this clip. This is happening on a, in a time where we can get another liberal. And of course, the representation more than anything you pointed out first black woman there's only been two black men in it, it, it that those numbers are a little shocking and one so we, doesn't really represent the black community no no, 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 no you'll hear this distortion with the replacement of words like equality with equity equal access with equal outcomes and identity as a justification of warped versions of reality if you're not careful you'll fall for these devious tactics because they are everywhere and here is where we can learn an important strategy that is being used often by the intolerant left. Now, this tactic is called the Mott and Bailey, and it describes a rhetorical move in which an arguer advances an indefensible opinion, but when challenged, falls back upon a similar yet easier to defend opinion. This is a rhetorical trick that relies upon truisms in people's emotions to convince them of truly radical notions. So I'll put up a picture for you here so that you can see now. As you can see in the picture, the Mott and the Bailey refer, refers to like a, a medieval castle setup where you have the Bailey, which was the village below the castle. It had little to no defense. And the Mott, which is the pillared castle, which serves as an impenetrable protection. So this is very important. Whenever an enemy came to attack the Bailey, it was easily given over to them, but people could retreat back to the Mott and then they could be protected behind those castle walls. 
So when it comes to dialogue, the Bailey is that easily attacked ideological position that just doesn't stand the test of reason. And people try to cover up the fact that it doesn't stand the test of reason by retreating back to the castle, a steel man position that may not necessarily have anything to do with the other position that they just stated. So, so what they try to do is create an idea that cannot be attacked by running back to a, to a truism, as it were. So whenever you hear arguments that just sound funny and somehow don't sit well with you, you may not know why, but it is typically because you're hearing a Mott and Bailey argument. So here's a clip just to give you an example of this from a, a pastor in a church in New York City. Neither the church name or the pastor is relevant. I, more important, it's a perfect example of how terms and definitions are being distorted and how the Mott and Bailey distorts them. And, and I want to show you this so that we won't fall for them. Christianity is not fundamentally a religion of people who know the truth inviting people who are wrong to believe the truth. It's about people who are humble and who have found life inviting people who are proud to lay down their pride and in humility find the same life. Now, when you hear this at first glance, it sounds great, right? You know, humility is an important thing, but like all Martin Bailey's, it's using a small element of truth to hide behind a rather pernicious lie. The mod here, or the defensible position, is every Christian should have a humble disposition, right? We already talked about this, kind of. It's important to be humble. Jesus was humble. You can't, you can't argue with that. The Bailey here is the notion that a bold Christian declaring the truth of God's word to a world in need is ultimately prideful somehow. I mean, you want to be humble, don't you? If you push back against this idea, that's what they'll say. Jesus was humble. The Bible tells us to be humble, right? Well, that's the mod. We should be humble, yes, but don't bother with the fact that convincing people of the truth of the gospel is not only biblical and a historic reality of Christianity, but something good and something we should do. See, that's, that's the indefensible position. Now, forget the fact that we're not supposed to cater to the feelings of the people that we're talking to, but actually we're just supposed to declare the truth. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be jerks, and sure, maybe we've made mistakes as Christians in that, uh, in that in the past, but more importantly, we have this modern-day notion that if the person who is hearing what we have to say is somehow affected emotionally in a negative way, then we must have done something wrong as Christians. Whereas we might want to take the position that the truth actually should affect you sometimes negatively, and it sure did with Jesus in his day when he was speaking to people. But no, we need to make sure the hearer likes what we have to say. Forget about that pesky Jesus who was crucified because people didn't like what he had to say. No, the people actually loved the miracles, but they very often didn't like what Jesus had to say. So the last time I checked, the total opposite of what this pastor says is true. But I don't blame pastors. Well, maybe I do. Like, the guy who wishes to be like Justin Bieber more so than Jesus probably knows exactly what he's doing. But many are falling for emotional talking points going on in the culture and aren't trained enough to resist deception. But their refusal to resist these language games leaves people passive, weak, and distanced from the truth that could change them. All the while, the Bible calls us to create arguments that demolish every ideology that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So just a word of caution. Whenever, whenever anyone says Christianity, just listen carefully. Whenever anyone says Christianity fundamentally is this, be very, very careful.
because what you may be hearing is nothing close to fundamental Christianity, and you may be hearing something like Amat and Bailey. So beyond the world of faith and beyond the world of progressive pastors or soft progressivism invading the, the church, there are Mott and Bailey arguments all over the culture. So you can hear Mott and Bailey's today in the modern transgender arguments and certainly conversations about race very, very often. And we have to be careful of these things because if we're not, we'll find ourselves falling for emotional talking points that may not necessarily be true. And you'll see these language tactics being used today in our headlines. So let's jump into them. There are some who want to twist the idea of porn and call it sexually liberating. And according to movie maker, Lena Dunham is doing just that by saying her, her new pornographic movie shows that porn can be healing. So here's the mutt in, in this ridiculous argument. Women need freedom of expression. Uh, so obviously this is inarguable, right? We need, we need to be able to express ourselves. Here's the Bailey. This is achieved through exploitation. See how this extortion works? Anyone that thinks porn is evil is merely oppressing and suppressing women. And you don't appreciate the female figure. It's really strange, too, that we hear this from Dunham of girls fame because, after all, this is the same girl that told us on her podcast that she was sad that she didn't have an abortion. However, the world has spoken much louder, and instead of declaring that her movie is liberating, they gave Dunham's movie a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, calling for less sex and, quote, more sense, and, quote, a career-worst movie. So Dunham says about this movie, and I think this quote is very telling. I think we have enough messaging in society, and probably in my 20s, I contributed to it. That said, porn is ruining sex, and it's making it so hard for people. But I really wanted this to show the way that porn can liberate people, that it's an industry that's just, just as complicated as Hollywood and as vast and probably more prolific. And I think it's really important for us to recognize the very healthy role porn can play and the important role that porn actors play in shaping people's identity. So, as you can imagine, you heard a bunch of language games in there and a bunch of twisted versions of reality. Um, but ultimately, the whole thing that Lena is getting at is that porn is important, you see, because Lena Dunham said so. It's healing. It's liberating to exploit women, to treat them as objects, just so that you can get your rocks off. The mod here is women should be free to express themselves, as we already said. The Bailey here, of course, is that Lena is peddling liberation as some kind of Marxist nonsense that actually places people in a kind of mental and emotional slavery. Hopefully that made sense. But on the other end of the spectrum, we actually have Hollywood elites and well-known people kind of speaking up about this issue and actually speaking true common sense, not just steel manning a position and trying to hide behind that thing by saying, oh, this is liberating when it's actually not, when it's very painful and hurtful to women. Billie Eilish is one of these who just recently came out in a, and in a CNN report, she said this, Billie Eilish says, watching porn from age 11 really destroyed my brain. So that's a quote from Billie there. She said this, I think porn is a disgrace. I used to watch a lot of porn, to be honest. I started watching porn when I was like 11. It helped me feel as if I were cool and, and one of the guys. I think it really destroyed my brain, she goes on to say. 
and I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn, she added, saying she, she suffered nightmares because of some of the content that she watched was so violent and abusive. Now, if you've had the misfortune of being exposed to this kind of stuff, then you know this is true, and certainly you can listen to and hear, especially a lot lately, any number of people coming out of the porn industry who will tell you how much damage it's done to their soul to be exploited and just to be used. And so here's the real point behind all of the the mirage and the nonsense and the lies. Hookup culture, or as they're called, situationships, not to mention these polyamorous nutcases on TikTok, it does not liberate you sexually. In fact, treating sex as merely transactional makes people disposable and promotes shallowness that's making people less apt to take on responsibility well into their 20s and 30s. That lack of responsibility is creating a generation of people that live in their mom's basement and that runs from commitment at, at, a, at a level higher than any other previous generation. Here's the receipts on that in case you're curious. At a time when we should be repopulating the earth due to COVID deaths, in 2020, we saw the largest dip in the birth rate ever in America. And in December 2020, the largest decline of any month. There were 3,605,201 births in the United States last year, the lowest number since 1979. And of course, the birth rate was measured here as the number of babies per thousand women ages 15 to 44. And this has fallen about 19% since a record high in 2007. So let me break it down super, super simple for those who fail to understand basic concepts like traditional marriage, the evil of adultery, who don't understand commitment, integrity, and responsibility. If the birth rate dips under the death rate, guess what happens next? All right, let's jump into our next headline. Justice Breyer is forced into retirement by the left, and now Joe Biden is making his way to make an inclusive pick. So while the left wants to continue to promote racial diversity as something that they actually believe in by being quote-unquote inclusive, we see on the other hand that when they're looking for the Supreme Court nomination, they're not looking for inclusivity. They're actually only looking for a black woman. So by inclusion, they mean being rigorously dedicated to identity politics. The left is so political that they are only interested in people if they can be used to make themselves feel better and for their own personal gain. I mean, honestly, isn't it time to stop falling for this trick? Joe Biden is the worst. He goes to this playbook constantly. This thing, this makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. The left are the most racist people on the planet because they are obsessed with race. So when you hear the word inclusion used by a Democrat, just go ahead and put another word in its place. Put instead of inclusion, exclusion, and then it will make sense. Hopefully, this person that they're, they're putting in is going to be qualified. If they do, it will simply be as happenstance in that they're not looking for the most qualified person, and this is Biden himself saying that. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. They're just looking for the most qualified black woman that they can find. Now, chances are they're going to find a very qualified person that's just as qualified as, as anybody else. But of course, we know that that would have nothing to do with their skin tone and nothing to do with their genitalia and everything to do with their background. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. But suffice to say, the Mott and Bailey here is clear. 
when the left tells you that they're inclusive, the inclusion sounds like a good thing, right? That's the, that's the, the mot. But the Bailey is the ridiculous notion that being inclusive means that you specifically choose somebody of one gender and one racial, one racial uh, skin tone. So nonetheless, we, we, we see that it's totally untrue that these guys don't really care about race and they care more, more about virtue signaling. All right, let's jump into the final headline. This one's a little bit closer to home in McMinn County. A Tennessee school board bans Holocaust graphic novel, Mouse. The author came out later and condemned this move as Orwellian. Now, while it's a little odd for the legacy media to quote anything as Orwellian since they are totally in bed with one political party, and it is to the left, and Orwell's major concern was leftism when he wrote 1984, nonetheless, here's where language games can prey upon our emotions and where the Mott and Bailey specifically does this. I happen to think that this very small county in not far from here, McMinn County in Tennessee, is wrong, but what they're actually objecting to is not teaching the Holocaust. It's pornographic material, and foul language, and that the book was being used for eighth graders. The school board didn't get rid of it from the library, nor did they eliminate the possibility of using it for older kids. They're still teaching about the Holocaust. They simply objected to this book and its depiction because of, again, uh, its age appropriateness of the material. But because an uninformed people are very, very vital to the Mott and Bailey and obviously the subjects of the, the, the media's direct, you know, direct intention, they hope you get shocked by the headline that this community would want to bar this book and they hope you go quickly and grab your pearls. The real intention here is to get people outraged as a smokescreen because the legacy media knows their ideal audience are those who are emotionally invested but are not thinking clearly for themselves, then they can do stuff like this. They can use these outrages as merely a smokescreen to distract people. So over here, they're saying, do you see these book banners and these book burners, how they no longer want to teach the Holocaust? Just so that they can enter in books and videos like the ones who teach first graders to masturbate and who also teach fourth graders to cross-dress in school. No, it's clear that parents have the right to object to some of the content that is being used in the public school system. But, of course, the legacy media is going to try to paint them in the most dishonest light possible. So here's the Mott and Bailey in, in this instance, how this works, right? Information is good. Kids need to be taught. Even controversial subjects that, that sometimes are hard for kids to understand and hard for kids to learn, but they need it. You know, this goes back even to the thing that I was just talking about with the with the pastor who was like, you need to be humble and you don't need to convince people that they're they're wrong, even though that is an aspect of human life, is that we often find that we're wrong. And when we're wrong, it needs to be something that we embrace and that we love to learn where we're wrong because we love to learn. But so, needless to say, so that's the mod. So this is where the left tries to use that against us, right? We need to learn. And if we're wrong about something or we don't know our history, that's clearly a problem. Who would argue with that? The problem it really is down here in the Bailey because you want to try to introduce radical Marxist, gender bending, uh, radical gender ideology, radical uh, anti-racist rhetoric to try to introduce ideas to kids that ultimately are very dangerous and poisonous to their understanding. So that's what's really going on here. And they know that if they can get people emotional 
that they are way easier to control because then you don't think about, well, now hang on. We don't, we don't really want like all content, like any content for children. I mean, we're not talking about college. We're not talking about grad students. We're not talking about adults. We're talking about like elementary school kids or middle schoolers. Certainly there should be some content. I mean, they're going to put filters on YouTube for your kids, but yet we're not going to put any filter on, on books for kids whatsoever, no matter their age. So whether it's a church or the lamestream media, don't fall for talking points. Think for yourself. All right, let's jump into our last segment, Christianity, not today. All right, in this segment, I try to introduce you to kind of an intersection of things that are going on in the Christian world with culture. And uh, I do that because very often things that you hear in the mainstream legacy media or even sometimes from places like Christianity Today are so left-leaning that you don't get real Christianity. So we call this Christianity Not Today because we're not having it. We're not going to allow you to paint the picture of Christianity in a way that totally doesn't represent Christianity whatsoever. And so that brings us to the book we want to talk about today. And this is the book Jesus and John Wayne. And I may mess up the last name, but I think it's Kristen Dumez. And Kristen is a very intelligent lady. She is a professor, and she teaches all kind of women's studies at uh, Calvin University. And the basic supposition of her book is that Jesus came together with John Wayne, and they had a baby, and his name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has, for generations, shaped and molded white male evangelical Christianity, and that is going to be the destruction of Christianity in our age. Now, as laughable as all that may be, there's even greater laughable suggestions in the book. I'm about halfway through it now. And she goes on to suggest radical things like um, like the Vietnam War was uh, an anti-feminist war. I'm not really sure. She doesn't. Here's one of the problems with the book. She doesn't really defend many of the things or define her terms because she never once defines what an evangelical really is. And in the intellectual community, we think that's typically done either because the person writing is not intellectual, this woman clearly is, or because the person is trying to deceive. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but typically you need to define your terms and you need to be very, very clear on what you're talking about so that we can know, one, that you know what you're talking about and so that we can be clear as to what you are talking about. So needless to say, she doesn't define her terms, but she goes on to make really audacious claims. Now, I, one of the ones that I love is this, is that... Uh, white male evangelical Christians are part of the problem in Christianity today because uh, because they they look up to people like John Wayne and Theodore Roosevelt, you know, that rugged outdoorsman. And, and this is part of the problem is that they've learned to filter Jesus through their interpretations of, of historical and Hollywood figures. Now, you might think to yourself for two seconds about this and come away with a vastly different conclusion. And, and it sounds something like this, that actually part of the problem may be the exact opposite of what you're claiming, that men don't look up to John Wayne. Many, especially in Gen X and Gen uh, uh, Millennials and then Gen Z and, and then below, they don't even know who John Wayne is. Uh, in fact, they, they don't look up to John Wayne. They've been totally effeminized by the very fact that they're being raised mostly by women because of the incredible divorce rate and the single motherhood rate in America. So you might think that that's actually part of the problem is that men are being raised simply by women. And then the other assertion, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, you might think to yourself that the real problem is, is that actually we have such a total and 
impossible ignorance of history that most people don't even know anything about Teddy Roosevelt. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I just think that those two assertions are way safer than we're idolizing Teddy Roosevelt today and we're idolizing John Wayne or any generation. The The bigger problem is, is that men don't understand what real masculinity is and and they certainly have an incredible ignorance of history. And so here's the real issue is that in order to address some of what is going on in Christianity, Dumas wants to do this through a second wave feminist lens because that's who this person is. And isn't this the real issue? I mean, her main claim in the book ultimately is that Christianity is becoming more of a cultural fabrication than a, than a, than a Christian one. Um, that Christianity is less Christian than it is cultural. Now, I actually happen to agree with that assessment, but I totally disagree with the way in which it's happening. Because I think the exact opposite is true, is that leftism and progressivism and its stranglehold on culture is actually slowly but surely trickling down and poisoning the well of Christianity today, where most of our pop culture pastors are just saying things that sound good, but merely promoting therapeutic moral deism, but not true biblical answers to, to the questions that we have in our day and age. So again, I share the issue that Christianity has the habit of becoming too cultural if we're not careful, and we can become too worldly, too secular. But the reason for that, by and large, is simply because we're not, we're not biblically minded anymore. And so to just put a feminist viewpoint or a feminist lens over the problem of Christianity today and say it's all masculinity, um, you're doing the same thing. You're taking a cultural, a secular worldview, imposing it upon Christianity, and then kind of making your deductions from that, which really what we need to do more than ever before is we need a biblical understanding of what's going on in our world, because that really does have the answers for what's really happening. So Demez is doing the very thing that she claims white male evangelical Christians are doing. The Mott indefensible position here is that Christianity needs reformation. It needs revival. It needs to wake up. The Bailey here is that we can do that by looking at Christianity through a second wave feminist viewpoint. When the reality is, is we need to recognize what's going on here over here in the steel man world, those issues do exist. And the solution to those things, if we're willing to think critically and clearly, are through getting or, or by getting back to a a biblical, objective standard of truth. Now, this this puts a cherry on top of everything that we talked about today. Hopefully it makes sense to you guys. Is that ultimately the Martin Bailey exists. Because we do not have our feet firmly planted in the truth. Yes, some people construct the truth. And in our interpretation of the truth, some of that is constructed, but it doesn't deny the fact that truth still exists. And it is a knowledge of that truth, and it is a firm grasp of that truth that will keep us from falling for emotional, intellectually flawed arguments that are in the Bailey. And I think this is going to be liberating for people to hear because also within the framework of Christianity, I hear it all the time. Don't be judgmental. Well, yes and no. Um, so, by the way, this hop this happens to me very often with with people on social media who are who are very left leaning Christians probably and very sympathetic Christians and use their sympathy to override their their understanding of reality, like who say. 
um, very mean-spirited uh, things to me about the things that are on my podcast. Like I have feelings too, folks. Uh, but but the point is, is that they, they, they this is it's comprised in the same thing, couched in the same idea. Don't be judgmental. Meanwhile, you're being judgmental against me and saying don't be judgmental. But but here's the point. No, we should be judgmental, but it just depends on what. So. We don't judge people in the sense that we're the ultimate judge or that we say what is right and wrong, or we say, even more importantly, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. That's, that's God's job. He's the judge. But, so that's the mud. But down here in the Bailey, but shouldn't we judge between right and wrong? Shouldn't we use our voice to, to stand for truth and to make sure that we're, we're fighting for truth and that we're standing up for, for those who even can't stand up for themselves? And, but this is what those who are Mott and Baileyists want to do. They want to castigate Christians who are doing this kind of judging down here, which is absolutely scriptural. I mean, Paul even said it himself, that a righteous person judges all things. Look it up. So we're supposed to judge. It's just a question of what does the judgment look like? And this is the point. See, because whether you're a Christian or not, I, and I, I always risk losing people because I don't want you to think that I'm just speaking to Christians here. Whether you're a Christian or not, here's the real point, is that we need to nuance ideas, and that will keep us from the Mott and Bailey. We need to nuance ideas. And this goes back to the whole thing with Jesus and John Wayne, is, is that if we're going to clearly and carefully nuance ideas and about the cultural influence upon Christianity— then, then I'm sure that we would come away with the conclusion that we probably don't need to be all throwing our own individual personal lenses on things, especially second-wave feminism, as a lens that we throw on top of Christianity with which to view it, because ultimately we're doing the same thing. We're taking a cultural idea, and then we're intertwining it with Christianity, and isn't that going to leave us in the same place? What we desperately need more than ever before is free, independent thinkers who can carefully nuance ideas and tell the difference between the Bailey and the Mott. Because there are people who want to use sympathetic arguments, who want to prey upon your emotions, who aren't thinking clearly themselves, who will try to enforce a, a Mott and then also include the Bailey in it instead of separating those two things. So hopefully that's clear, hopefully that makes sense, and hopefully that will give you, more importantly, the freedom to stand up for things and not to be extorted by those who are going to try to shut you up and castigate you for speaking up against things that need to be judged and that need to be mocked and that need to be pointed at and need to be addressed because other Christians will fall for it if, if they're not careful. So, so we need to just stop it. As Christians, we need to stand up and we need to stand together and we need to call evil, evil and be okay with doing that. Well, I hope that was helpful to you guys. I hope that that will help you identify arguments and ideas that are going around and posing as, as language, but really are just distortions of language so that you can impact the culture. And again, if you're tired, take a break, but stay in the fight. We need you. We need you and your voice to be a redemptive breath of fresh air in the midst of a world that is consistently given over to relativism. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.